Chapter Eighteen of the Wheat Princess by Jean Webster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Shall I do it high or low, ma'am? Marcia, who was sitting before the mirror in a lace camisole, fidgeted impatiently. Oh, do it any way you please, Granton. Only hurry, low, I think. That will look best with my gown. But do be quick about it. I have to go downstairs. There's plenty of time," replied the maid imperturbably. "But I would be a little faster if you would kindly sit still." very well granton i won't move for five minutes i'm really getting excited though and i didn't care a bit for the party until it began yes ma'am if you'll just turn your head a little more this way it's very early i know but i have to go down and be sure that pietro understands about the lights he's so stupid he has to be watched every minute and granton as soon as you get through with mrs copley please go and help bianca dress miss royston bianca doesn't know anything more about fixing hair than a rabbit Granton's silence breathed acquiescence in this statement, and, under impulse of the implied compliment, she became more sprightly in her movements as she skilfully twisted Marcia's yellow-brown hair into a seemingly simple coil at the nape of her neck. For the past three days the house had been full of guests, and though Marcia had been somewhat cold in her anticipations of the time, she found herself thoroughly enjoying it when it came. The days had been filled with rides and drives and impromptu gaiety, Paul Dessart had been master of the revels, and he filled the office brilliantly. He had supplied the leaven of fun on every occasion, and had been so thoroughly tactful that his host and hostess had gratefully blessed him, and Marcia had cast him more than one involuntary glance of approval. And this was her birthday and the night of the ball. All day long she had been the centre of a congratulatory group, the recipient of prettily worded felicitations, and she not unnaturally found it pleasant the afternoon train had brought still more guests from rome and villa vivalanti's nineteen bedrooms were none too many five o'clock tea on the terrace had itself been in the nature of a festa with gaily dressed groups coming in and going amid the sound of laughter and low voices while the excitable italian servants scurried to and fro placing tea-tables and carrying cups marcia had been secretly disappointed that afternoon by the non-arrival of one guest whom she half expected and eleanor royston had been frankly so mr copley eleanor had inquired of her host as he offered her a cup of tea where's that friend of yours mr lawrence sybert quelling rioters i presume it's more in his line just now than attending balls as if anything could be more in a diplomat's line than attending balls with all the other diplomats here and off their guard it's just the time to learn state secrets and he's the most interesting man in rome she complained i wanted to add him to my collection your collection mr copley's startled expression approached a stare of interesting men she explained oh don't be alarmed i don't scalp them the collection is purely mental it's small enough so far to be carried in my head it's merely that i am a student of human nature and am constantly on the alert for fresh specimens your mr sybert is puzzling i don't know just how to classify him ah i see it is merely a scientific interest you take in him mr copley's tone was one of relief if i can be of any assistance with the label i am sure that he would feel honoured to grace your collection i am not so sure said marcia wait till you hear the others uncle howard a kansas politician who wants to be a poet an engineer on the clayton's yacht a russian prince who talks seven languages and can't express his thoughts in any and who were the others eleanor oh yes the blacksmith who married the maid and beats her you don't do them justice eleanor remonstrated those are merely their accidental extrinsic qualities 
that which makes them interesting is something intrinsic mr copley shot her an amused glance and drawing up a chair sat down beside her prepared to argue it out the list has possibilities miss royston he assured her though of course one can't judge without knowing the gentleman personally with which one may i ask are you going to classify mr sybert oh in a separate pigeonhole by himself that is just what makes my collection interesting it was evidently a subject that she discussed with some relish most men you know you look them over and immediately assign them to a group with a lot of others but once in a while you come across a man who goes entirely by himself is what the french call an original and he is worth studying mr copley took out a cigarette and regarded it speculatively i see he said the best study of mankind is man and so you think sybert a specimen who deserves a pigeonhole by himself yes i think he does though i haven't quite decided on the whole yet that's why it worries me that he didn't come to the party one hates to leave these little matters unsolved i am sincerely sorry for you to have lost the opportunity i must tell him your opinion no indeed remonstrated eleanor i may meet him again some day and if you tell him i shall never learn the truth one's only chance is to catch them unawares you're a very penetrating person miss royston i've been out nine seasons she laughed you can trust me to know a man when i see one i wish you'd teach marcia some of your lore he murmured as he turned toward the loggia to greet a fresh carriage full of guests even though one man were missing still a great many others were there and it had only been an undercurrent of marcia's consciousness in any case that had considered the matter the laughter and babble of voices the gay preparations and hurrying servants had had their effect as granton clasped about her neck mr copley's expiatory gift a copy of an old etruscan necklace in pearls and uncut emeralds set in hammered gold she was as pleasurably excited as a young woman may legitimately be on the eve of a birthday ball there granton that's all she cried catching up her very parisian skirts and flying for the door hurry with the others please for it won't be long before the guests begin coming she started downstairs pulling on her gloves as she went she paused a moment on the landing to view the scene below and she blinked once or twice as it dawned upon her that lawrence sybert was standing at the foot of the stairs watching her just as he had stood the last time she had seen him when he bade her good-night for a moment she felt an absurd tremor run through her and then with something like a gulp she collected herself and went on down to greet him mr sybert we were afraid you weren't coming when did you get here on the late train i have been in the south and i didn't get back to the city till this afternoon your arrivals are always so spectacular she said we entirely give you up and then the first thing we know you are quietly standing before us on the rug i should call that the reverse of spectacular have you seen uncle howard did they find any place to put you the house is cram full oh yes i've been officially welcomed i have a bed in your uncle's dressing-room you may be thankful for that the next comer i am afraid will be put in the cellar sybert did not choose to prolong these amenities of welcome any further and he stood quietly watching her while she buttoned her gloves she looked very radiant to-night with the candlelight gleaming on her hair and her hazel eyes shining with excitement her gown was the filmiest shimmering white with an undertone of green about her neck the pearls gleamed whitely each separate jewel a pulsing globe of light marcia glanced up and touched the necklace with her hand this is uncle howard's birthday present she said isn't it lovely it's a copy of an old old necklace in castellani's collection my uncle gives me pearls and my father is sending wheat 
she turned aside into the long salon and sybert followed her if marcia had been momentarily jostled from her self-possession by his sudden appearance she had completely regained her poise she was buoyantly at her ease again there was a touch of intimacy almost of coquetry about her manner as she talked and yet sybert noted the fact with a sub-smile of comprehension she avoided crossing eyes with him that moment by the fireside was still too vivid they returned to the hall and marcia stepped to the door leading on to the loggia the cornice was outlined with tiny coloured lamps while a man was lighting others by the terrace balustrade she glanced back at sybert who was standing still in the hall you aren't going out he asked just a moment i want to see how it looks he looked at her bare shoulders with a slight frown bring the signorina a wrap he said to the servant at the door i don't need a wrap said marcia it's a warm night sybert shook his head with an expression that was familiar oh if you wish to say anything say it she cried only please don't look at me with that smile it's the way you looked the first time i saw you and i don't like it i have nothing to say when a young woman threatened with malaria proposes to go out into an italian night bare-shouldered a mere man is left speechless pride would keep me warm i haven't a doubt of it but in case it should for the moment fail he took the long white cloak from the man's arm and glanced at it with another expression as he placed it on her shoulders it was composed mostly of chiffon and lace all is vanity that comes from a parish shop laughed marcia sybert lit a cigarette and followed her well he asked as they paused by the terrace balustrade does it meet with your approval it's lovely isn't it she replied as she looked back at the broad white façade with its gleaming windows there was no moon but a clear star-sprinkled sky in all the dark landscape the villa alone was a throbbing centre of life and light rows of coloured lanterns were beginning to outline the avenue leading to the gate and in the ilex grove tiny red and blue and white bulbs glowed among the branches like the blossoms of some tropical night-blooming cereus servants were hurrying past the windows musicians were commencing to tune their instruments everywhere was the excitement of preparation and this is your birthday he said i suppose you have received many pretty speeches to-day miss marcia i hope they may all come true she glanced up in his face and he looked down with a smile twenty-three is a great age a shadow flitted across her face isn't it she sighed i thought twenty-two was bad enough but twenty-three it won't be many years before i'd be really getting old sybert laughed it's been a long time since i saw twenty-three when i first came back to rome twelve years said marcia it's an easy enough problem if you care to work it out i don't care to any more it's not bad for a man she said but a woman grows old so young you need not worry over that just now the grey hairs will not come for some time yet i'm not worrying she laughed i was just thinking it isn't nice to grow old is it certainly not it's the great tragedy of life and it comes to all miss marcia to you as well as to the poorest peasant girl in castel vivalanti life after all contains some justice marcia turned her back to the shining villa and looked down over the great campagna stretching away darkly under the stars with here and there the gleam of a shepherd's fire built to ward off the poison in the air things are not very just she said slowly not very he agreed and one has little faith that they ever will be either in this world or the next it would be comfortable wouldn't it 
if you could only believe that people are unfortunate as a punishment because they deserve to be it would be a beautiful belief but one which you can scarcely hold in italy poor italy she sighed ah poor italy he echoed with a sudden motion he threw away his cigarette over the balustrade and immediately lit another marcia watched his face in the flare of the match the eyes seemed deeper set than usual the jaw more boldly marked and there were nervous lines about the mouth his face seemed to have grown thinner in the last few weeks they turned away and sauntered toward the yalex grove there are however compensations he went on presently our poor peasants do not have all the pleasures but they do not have all the pains either there are a great many girls in castel vivalanti who will never have a birthday ball he glanced from the lighted villa behind them to the glowing vista in front the green stretch of the ilex walk with the shimmering fountain at the end whose lives will be very bare indeed they will work and eat and sleep and love and perhaps hate and that is all you have many other pleasures which they could never understand you enjoy the egoist for instance but also he paused you can suffer many things they cannot understand you are an individual while they are merely human beings gervasio's stepmother married a husband and doubtless loved him very much and cried for him a week after he was dead then she married another and saw no difference between him and the first she may have to work hard and she may be hungry sometimes but she will escape the worst suffering in life which you with all your privileges may not escape marcia one would rather not escape it she answered i should rather feel what there is to feel ah he breathed so should we all and these poor devils of peasants who can't feel anything but their hunger and weariness lose the most of life they are not even human beings they are merely beasts of burden hard-working patient unthinking oxen who go the way they are driven not dreaming of their strength that is the unfairness that is where society owes them a debt they have no chance to develop however he broke off with a short laugh it's not the time to bother you with other people's troubles on your birthday night we will hope after all that you may not have any very grave ones of your own they had reached the fountain and they paused they were alone in a fairy grove with the nightingale pouring out his soul in the branches above their heads marcia stood looking down the dim green alley they had come by breathing deeply she knew that sybert's eyes were on her and slowly she raised her head and looked up in his face for a moment they stood in silence then as the sound of carriage wheels reached them from the avenue she started and turned away the people are beginning to come i am afraid that aunt catherine will be wondering where i am she said in a voice that trembled slightly sybert followed her in silence some one had once said to her that sybert's silences meant more than other men's words and as they turned back she tried to think who it had been ah she remembered it was the contessa End of chapter eighteen read by Celine Major